0: Christ Church, New Malden, Sunday the 16th of July, 2023, 11 o'clock service. Ruth Henson speaking on The Spirit of Courage. When I last preached in this series on learning from the early church, and my topic that day was the spirit of witness. If you were here that day, you might remember that I led us in a sing-song of that old Sunday school classic, Peter and John went to pray, based on the events of Acts chapter 3, and then came up with my own second verse to recount the events I was preaching on from Acts chapter 4. As an aside, I was a little disappointed that Stephen didn't follow through on the challenge he set himself to write a third verse based on the opening verses of chapter 5, which he preached on last week. The Sobering Tale of Ananias and Sapphira. And he had the first couple of lines in the bag too. Ananias and Sapphira died. Was it because they had lied? <laughs> a bit more work to do after that. But going back to the second verse I wrote, if we take a look at the words, maybe you'll understand why I had a feeling of deja vu when I came to write this talk. Peter and John went to jail the sadducées hoped they would fail but 5000 believed and salvation received and this is what peter did say jesus who died at your hand is risen just as god had planned you tell us to stop but god's will comes out top and the spirit will help us to stand etc etc apostles in jail Tick. Angry Sadducees. Tick. New believers. Tick. God's authority trumping those trying to silence the good news. Tick. But Luke, the writer of Acts, obviously felt we needed to hear this further example of the Apostles' boldness in the face of danger and persecution. So let's take a closer look at our passage and see what further encouragement and challenge we can find there. The opening scene of our passage is set in Solomon's Colonnade, a cloister on the eastern side of the outer court, or women's court, of the temple in Jerusalem. The apostles and believers used to meet there, witnessing the signs and wonders being carried out by the apostles. It is interesting to note that no one else dared join them, perhaps due to the fear that arose from the demise of Ananias and Sapphira, or perhaps because of the strict warning from the Sanhedrin. But the lack of new joiners to the core group at Solomon's colonnade does nothing to curtail the growth of the early church overall. As we read in verse 14, Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And the knock-on effect is that those who are ill are carried out into the street with the thought that even if Peter's shadow fell on them, that would be enough for them to be healed. This emanates from the custom of the time that a person's shadow held their influence So parents would place their children into the shadow of great men and snatch them away from someone they disliked. The text doesn't tell us whether anyone was actually healed by Peter's shadow, but the fact that the people were thinking this way shows the tremendous respect they had for Peter, and we are told that very many from the areas surrounding Jerusalem were healed in body and spirit. The next scene of this dramatic passage is the jail, a familiar location to Peter and John, but now the other apostles get sent there too, as a result of the intense jealousy of the Sadducees. But they don't get chance to settle in, because an angel of the Lord opens the doors of the jail and brings them out. This is the first of the miraculous releases from jail recounted in the Book of Acts, which makes me think of Paul's words in 2 Timothy 2, verse 9, where he says that despite his chains as a prisoner for the gospel, God's word is not chained. I remember hearing a talk at the start of the first lockdown in the COVID pandemic, which took inspiration from that verse, pointing out that the country might be in lockdown and churches might be subject to lockdown, but God's word was not in lockdown whereas we turned to zoom and youtube in 2020 the apostles had angelic assistance which is especially ironic as the sadducees not only didn't believe in resurrection as i mentioned in my last talk but also didn't believe in angels so i can't help feeling that god has a sense of humor sending an angel on this occasion to release the prisoners rather than an earthquake or any other means. The angel has specific instructions for them, not to go and hide out somewhere, but rather to head right into the temple courts themselves instead of the cloisters and carry on their preaching and teaching, which is precisely what they do as soon as day breaks. Scene three sees us with the members of the Sanhedrin, who, having gathered together, summon the apostles to be brought before them from the jail. The officers who are sent to the jail discover the apostles are nowhere to be found there and report back the extraordinary news that the jail was securely locked with guards stationed at the doors, but no one was inside. They are at a loss to know what this can mean, but are not left in suspense for long as someone rushes in to tell them that the apostles have been spotted in the temple courts, doing exactly what they've been told not to, teaching the people. An interesting detail to note is that when the officers are sent out again to fetch the apostles before the Sanhedrin, they do not use force out of fear that the people, who clearly have so much respect for Peter and the others, might turn against the officers and stone them another sign of just how well regarded these leaders of the early church were the high priest opens the interrogation and reminds them of the strict instructions they were given to stop teaching in the name of Jesus he accuses them of being determined to make us guilty of this man's blood which is another ironic detail When Pontius Pilate washed his hands of responsibility for Jesus' crucifixion, having found nothing he was guilty of, he said, as we read in Matthew 27, I am innocent of this man's blood. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and on our children. What short memories these religious leaders have. Peter then leads the apostles in giving another mini exposition of the gospel just as he did on the previous occasion and once again they reiterate the point that they have to submit to God's authority rather than that of human beings. The reaction of the Sanhedrin is to want the apostles put to death but a Pharisee called Gamaliel who we read elsewhere in Acts, was a teacher of Paul while he was still known as Saul, urges caution. He cites two examples of men who whipped up a religious following but whose followers were soon dispersed after they were killed. He suggests that if Jesus' popularity stems from human origins, as was the case with these other two, a similar course of events will soon follow. But if by some chance the origin of this movement comes from God then they will have no hope of wiping it out anyway as they cannot fight successfully against God. They are persuaded by his argument and decide to have the apostles flogged which would have entailed multiple lashes with a whip and then once again order them not to speak in the name of Jesus before letting them go. It doesn't seem like they've taken on board the Apostle's repeated insistence that God's authority trumps theirs. And the Apostle's response? Despite the fresh sting of those lashes, they rejoice in the honour of suffering for Jesus. And as they have made plain to the Sanhedrin, they keep on preaching and teaching the good news about their Messiah. As I was studying this passage, I found it interesting to notice the contrasting responses to that good news, the truth of the gospel message. In the opening verses of the passage, we see the multitudes believe the gospel. The result of both hearing the apostles' words and also seeing the dynamic, transforming love of God in action in the signs and wonders that were being performed is that more and more men and women are believing the good news and being added to the exponentially growing number of believers. This is a phenomenon which we see repeated throughout the history of the church, where the body of believers miraculously increases and thrives in the face of opposition and persecution. While we may not face anywhere near that level of oppression, we can still ask God for opportunities to share his hope in both word and action with those we encounter day by day. And perhaps most especially with those whose hopes and foundations have been rocked in the storms of life, and desperately need to hear of and witness the transformative mercy and grace of the gospel. Then we see the religious leaders attack the gospel. The Sanhedrin and the high priest had multiple reasons to want to silence the apostles. They had already ordered Peter and John to stop preaching about the risen Jesus a command which had been completely ignored. That order had been given because of the way the apostles' preaching was specifically undermining the doctrines ascribed to by the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees in particular, most notably their rejection of belief in resurrection. They were also intensely jealous and envious of the growth, popularity and following the early church was experiencing as opposed to the stagnation and waning of influence they were experiencing we should not be surprised when opposition to the gospel comes from within the establishment of the church due to disquiet about or fear of a different way of doing things or a wish to quieten down those who prioritise speaking up for the truth, rather than maintaining the status quo and brushing tricky issues under the carpet. Next we see the apostles defend the gospel. Peter doesn't beat about the bush and is adamant that, however much opposition is thrown at them, they will keep on standing firm for the gospel and preaching the truth. They are able to put the opposition and persecution they face into a kingdom perspective, placing the sovereignty and authority of God above any challenge or trial they might face. The specific command of the angel on releasing them from jail was to tell the people All about this new life. Life is a very meaningful word in the Bible. Jesus himself says he is the way, the truth and the life. And that the aim of his mission and ministry is to give us life in all its fullness. In 1 Timothy 6 Paul describes the kingdom hope as the life that is truly life. And yet we so often get completely immersed and wrapped up in all the other stuff going on in our lives that we start to forget the eternal perspective and think of the here and now as all there is. The apostles certainly didn't have that problem. I read a very sobering statistic that approximately 200,000 Christians lose their life each year because of their faith in Jesus. That's a staggering number. 200,000 Christian martyrs a year. Really too big to comprehend. If you divide by 365, you discover that equates to 548 Christians dying as martyrs each day. Divide that further by 24, and you find that 22 die every hour. Which means that somewhere in the world, one Christian is killed for their faith every three minutes. It is only with the commitment to defend the gospel and the kingdom perspective which the apostles showed that anyone could possibly stand firm in the face of such oppression. I was reminded also of a story I told the children at school in an assembly about a Scottish missionary called John Payton, who served God in the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific in the 1800s. One night, hostile islanders surrounded the mission station Intent on burning it down and driving out the Peyton family. Peyton and his wife spent the night praying for God's deliverance and were amazed to see their attackers finally dispersing. A year later, the tribal chief became a Christian, and Peyton asked him to think back to that night and explain what had occurred the chief explained that the islanders had been too frightened to attack because the mission station was encircled by hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords. Peyton immediately thought of the story from 2 Kings 6 where Elisha prays for his servant's eyes to be opened to see the Lord's armies surrounding them vastly outnumbering the human army of the king of Syria, whose presence had terrified him. The apostles, recently personally acquainted with the risen Jesus, fresh from being sprung from jail by an angel and fully empowered by the Holy Spirit, are ready to fiercely defend the gospel, no matter the threat they face. If our eyes were opened to the surrounding angels, like the islanders of the New Hebrides and like Elisha's servant, perhaps we would be more open to the empowering of the spirit of courage and would have more confidence to speak up for and live out the truth of the gospel. We next see Gamaliel procrastinate about the gospel. This learned Pharisee who famously educated Saul before he became Paul resolutely sits on the fence when it comes to the gospel message. He's not really sure whether it's true or not so he buys himself and his associates time by playing peacemaker and pointing out that God's will will overcome anyway. The great news for the apostles is that God is able to use Gamaliel's indecision and dilly-dallying for the advancement of the gospel message because the apostles are released due to his advice. But in a church setting, Gamaliels are not usually such a blessing, hindering the work of the gospel due to a lack of boldness or decisiveness. Just because someone can talk a good game and sounds like they know all the answers does not necessarily mean they are the one with the insight or God-given confidence to move the church forward. The apostles were decidedly uneducated and untrained and yet they are the ones equipped and enabled by God for the advancement of his kingdom. And finally we see the church proclaims the gospel. Fresh from being flogged you might forgive the apostles for heading off to a dark corner to lick their wounds and gather their thoughts but no they leave the Sanhedrin rejoicing in the privilege of suffering dishonor in Jesus's name and once again their preaching ministry is described as unstoppable as they continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, day after day. The early church lived out this calling in the face of extreme danger and opposition. The opposition we encounter may often seem far more low-key, and yet that, along with how wrapped up we tend to be in the everyday busyness of the here and now, and the pressures we face in our daily lives can prove too much of an obstacle to our proclamation of the gospel in word or deed. We must not allow the Sadducees of today or the Gamaliels of today, or indeed our own lack of commitment and boldness to stop us from responding to the prompting and empowering of the spirit of courage, and proclaiming the transforming gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, I mentioned my disappointment with Stephen over the whole Ananias and Sapphira verse writing incident, but I didn't let on that he also issued me with a challenge to write a new song for every sermon I preached from now on, well, I can definitively say that's not going to happen. But these opening chapters of Acts certainly do lend themselves to catchy Sunday school style choruses. So I'll leave the Ananias and Sapphira verse for Stephen to complete. But please join me in singing about today's challenging passage the apostles did signs by the hour some thought peter's shadow had power locked up with a key an angel set them free and this is what peter did say you try to silence our speech but god's will commands us to preach Will be whipped in God's name, but rejoice all the same, and the truth will continue to teach. They went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. Will be whipped in God's name, but rejoice all the same, and the truth will continue to teach.